0: Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm run I'm in a constant race with myself to see if I can say that faster than the last time. Uh, we're back for season We need, a season to, we need one to bring the Micro
1: Machines guy out of retirement. Yeah. Wouldn't that be? Wouldn't that be righteous? We could have him do all of our ads and all of the intros. <laughs> I think he's dead. Is he? And he probably died. Because he was like my dad's age when I was yeah. a little boy collecting Micro Machines, so. Pretty sure he talked himself to death. If you he's know. not dead, he's, like, 87 and probably not that not that spry of tongue. Yeah,
0: yeah, not anymore. Uh, we're back for a season one wrap-up. We're going to talk a little bit about season one, you know, what we thought, uh, and do a bunch of listener email type stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and also talk about differences between season one and the books, which is something okay. that we did up until season four, season five, so I thought it would be a nice little thing to do as well. Yeah. Um First off, I have an email right up front. Uh, we might have inst- uh, caused some hysteria amongst the listenership. Uh-oh. Uh, Mike McSee says, "We all be doing episode recaps for season seven during the one uh, episode or season one episode ten recap." You mentioned that there'd be a hiatus after the final season one pod, and y'all be back either before or after season seven. Are you referring to your efforts to recap season two or three, or will Game of Thrones podcast possibly not return until season seven is over? <laughs> perish the thought Mike no we yeah. that we were speaking only of our rewatch we are definitely gonna be back for season one or season seven yeah uh, now keep in mind season seven is both a shorter season than is typical it's gonna be eight to seven episodes and by all reports it'll happen later in the season mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how later if we're talking like in the May June God forbid July uh, yeah but uh, it, it's gonna be longer so That's why I was kind of uncertain exactly when we'd be back on the uh, quote unquote airwaves. But we definitely will be back. We'll have full coverage for season seven. We'll come back for a preview podcast the week before HBO comes back with Game of Thrones, as is our regular routine. And then we'll take it from there. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I'm not sure when we'll do season two. Part of me says it would be sweet to do that as a ramp up and lead into season seven. Okay. Part of me says it would be sweet to keep. Like, you know, season two after season seven and then we can do season three after season eight, the final season oh, that seems God. nice and it's symmetrical.
0: Sounding very confusing.
1: Yeah. Uh but I but but we will do it. I mean, we're committed to doing the back catalogue at this point, right? Yeah. We had nothing but fun and nothing but success doing it, so mm-hmm. um and if it were not for Westworld, Walking Dead, and a million other shows coming between now and the winter, we'd probably keep on rolling. But uh there you go. Yeah, a lot of people upset. A lot of people upset that we're uh, we started them we're, on a rewatch, that we're and not we're not going to seven. Uh, that we're going to abandon them. Oh yeah, oh. that we're not. Sure, sure I wish. <laughs> like I said, how much? I mean, I don't know how much money I would invest of Bald Moose Fortunes to, if I could get an advanced copy of season seven right now. Hmm. Uh, probably nothing because we'd be sued into oblivion, but. <laughs> I'd personally spend a lot to see uh, Season season 7, Episode 1. Okay, so let's talk about differences between the books and the show. Again, I don't know if this is uh, super interesting, but it seemed to be popular back when we were doing it. Um, I cribbed these from both my own knowledge, some listener feedback, uh, a helpful guide on the Game of Thrones wiki. Uh, There's also... um, a uh io there was an io9 article that did a kind of an episode by episode now this is not exhaustive because i found There was like a page and a half of notes just on the first scene of the first episode. Like it wasn't – the the rangers – it was like the rangers in the book had read forth for many days. In the show, it's implied that they were attacked in the afternoon and there's – the rangers had different names and the sequence of them being killed was different. And So it's like Mm -hmm. that's not what this podcast is going to be. This is going to be what I thought was interesting or stuff that impacts – the narrative of like why and 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 things where I want to ask a question: Why do you think they changed it?
0: And and for people who might be afraid of spoilers or whatnot uh, that we're going to get into with the books, the the first book is pretty much the entire first yeah, season, yeah, yeah. right? Like that's they line the up almost exactly.
1: There's a couple of spoiler. There's a couple of things in the differences that would be considered spoiler. I've admitted all of those. Okay. Um, so, admitted yeah. or omitted? I've I've omitted. It. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Just, yeah, I've admitted well, I... all. I put them all in. <laughs> if there was a chance of spoiler, listeners, I'd take that every time I can get. No, I'm I'm I tried to be respectful of that. So, uh, first and foremost, and this kind of underpins the entire season, is they made the decision to age up pretty much all of the young characters. Right. Uh, and they did that primarily by the books begin just 14 years after Robert's Rebellion in the series, the 17 years have passed, which turns Rob and John from 14 turning 15 to 17 going on 18. Uh, Bran mm-hmm. becomes 10 instead of seven. Rickon goes from three to six. Sansa goes from 11 turning 12 to 13. Anaria is now 11 instead of nine. Hmm. Same thing. Joffrey's now 16 instead of 12. And that's a, these ages up weren't all consistent but it seemed like it was all with a purpose. Yeah. Uh Myrcella's 11 instead of 8, uh going on down, Danny is 16 instead of 13, which, you know, that adds to the level of uh discomfort for a lot of her scenes in the book. uh uh-huh. you have a Dothraki horse lord who might be 14 or 15 himself, who knows. Right. Uh, you know, having sex with a uh, with a 13-year-old. Um but clearly the reason they do this is just for those occasions. Like, it's, you know, instead of, uh, you know, Amelia Clark portraying a barely legal Danny, she'd be portraying a a, a barely post-pubescent Danny, and there's no fucking way. Even on HBO, you could do something like that, right? No, I mean,
0: it's one thing when you're reading it on the page and your head is kind of, like, filling in these gaps. Yeah. But, like... To, to actually see the actors portraying this, I right. think it would be too
1: much. I would think that if HBO ever did a series where, like, a 13-year-old was raped, that would be the focus of the series. It wouldn't be a right, footnote right. into the larger story. So, yeah, pretty clear of why they did that. Um, let's see. And also, you know, correspondingly, the adults are much young or older. I mean, I don't know how Sean Bean, old Sean Bean is, but certainly not in his early 30s. No. Uh, same with Michelle Fairley. Uh, Actually, same with everybody. Like, uh, you know, um, Queen Cersei and Robert are all visibly older than what you would imagine them to be in the books. But, like I said, I think it—I think it fits the spirit of the the show. Uh, There's also a a weird thing that I didn't even remember that in the books, uh, the wheelhouse, which is the giant carriage that Cersei rode up the Winterfell in was described as so huge and large that was pulled by 40 heavy draft horses and was too wide to pass through Winterfell's gates. Which would have been a cool imagery, like this giant double-wide mobile home, essentially, of the queen rolling up. But it also seems silly. Like, Can you imagine that thing being pulled by 40 Clydesdales?
0: (laughs) 40 horses? I mean, they've got to cross bridges and they've got to... Like, how do they get up the King's Road with that? that, Isn't it
1: like a dirt path at points? Yeah, right. And that's (laughs) like, like, I feel like that's one of Martin's things. We talked about it before, how like when, you know, they showed him early visualizations of the wall where it was its proper book height of almost twice as large as it is. And he's like, damn, that's a big wall. Uh Uh, Maybe scale (laughs) it down. Like, it seems like his impulse is to go way larger than life on some of these issues. um, Mm -hmm. Because I, I, I whether, I just don't know if he doesn't, know what a, like a proper scale is. Right. Uh like we talked about in the Babylon Five podcast where they're always talking about planetary devastation killing a quarter of a million people. Like that's a big amount. Sure. Yeah. You know, you drop an asteroid on America and 300 million people are dead and we're not even like a twenty fourth century society. <laughs> so uh-huh. I, I think that's that's a case of that. But it'd been cool. Um also another thing that's consistent in the books uh different in the show is everyone's much better looking uh, Jorah is described as being bald, stocky, hairy, unattractive. <laughs> uh, you know, in the series, he's actually quite handsome, if not weathered. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrion is misshapen, legs different size, mismatched eyes, fucked up face, hunchback, and in the show, he's Peter Dinklage, right? Who is quite handsome aside aside from his statue. Um, How'd they do with Cersei? Uh, no, Cersei's it's super super accurate, hot. Right, yeah. Danny's supposed to be super beautiful for okay. you know. Th- Again, adjusting for Jamie. Obviously, Jamie's supposed to be be super good looking. But Cal Drogo is like he's described as having long, like a Fu Manchu mustache with like Uh beads and silver rings in it, and his beard like he's just way more ornamented. And like uh, I think the Illyrio character's got a forked beard that's painted gold, and he's right. uh, And Tywin's bald with bristly golden, uh, like like sideburn whiskers jutting out, and. (laughs) <laughs> green eyes flaked with gold. Like, there's all kinds of... So, I honestly think that the the, the, the trend towards um, realism in the casting was good. And, and another yeah, example yeah. is, if you want to see an example like book-accurate costumes, um, you know, slight spoiler, we'll eventually meet a crew called the Unsullied, who are described in the book exactly as the household guard of Valerio, if you go back to the first episode where Danny first meets Doth, uh, uh, uh Drogo. They're sitting there. They've got like their shields, and they got these leather jerkins, and they get these ca- these these small round caps with these giant spikes on their head. That's exactly what an Unsullied is supposed to look like. Okay. And I think we're glad that the showrunners look at that and be like, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna call some audibles here." Yeah, I, we don't need to be watching the Fifth Element here, right? Right. Like, <laughs> right.
0: Just tone it down a little
1: bit. Um. Let's see. I mean here's here's a classic example of something from the um the the differences. Uh, in the book Jamie pushes Bran from the window from his right hand in the show oh, he uses his left hand like come go on fuck yourself. Come on, man. <laughs> uh Let's Can, see.
0: Is this a wiki? Can we delete that? Can we go in and have our? <laughs> you, probably audience, like, you probably
1: could. You uh, probably could. It'd be instantly restored by a horde of outrage nerds. But right. And, you could. And
0: we could. We could hopefully combat
1: them. Ooh. Are you saying Marshall the, the ball wiki war? No, yeah. no. Game of Thrones wiki war. Do it. <laughs> we had uh, back in our early history. We had a wiki war involving Batman <laughs> and growing corn. That right. Didn't Batman end well for anyway, anyone. Anyone. Uh, Let's see, Uh, Cal Drogon, Danny, we talked about this a lot, and I'm just going to say it, like, you know, in the books, the the sex they had is described as consensual, that she finds pleasurable, and the show, uh, their early sexual encounters are unambiguously depicted as straight-up rape. Yep. Until she turns the sexual tables on them. We discussed in, you know, if you want to know, if you want to hear an hour or so of discussion, listen to the first few episodes of this this season. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, we're moving on. Um in the book, Kat Stark encourages Ned to accept King Robert's request. In the T V series, she's afraid for him and begs not him not to accept. Um I I don't know exactly why they did that other than to kind of sell early on the kind of faded nature of his trip to Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Or I'm sorry, to King's Landing. Mm-hmm. Um because otherwise it Kat in this show is a little bit of a one note character. Uh you know, we, we're not often uh, asked to feel sympathy or or think that she's being awesome, maybe her arresting Tyrion is a notable example. Um, but I mean, did unfortunately, they want to keep that like
0: I guess emotionally pure. Like they didn't want any guilt in there. They wanted
1: more like yeah. anger instead. I guess. I mean, it it just it just unfortunately that change um, for whatever reason. I think even made Kat a more of a one note character because right. the, her hatred of John. You know, uh, I think it's explainable, but. It it is hard to watch as a, as a viewer. Sure. Uh, let's see. There. So there's an. Adi- we talked about this a lot in the season too. There's an additional scene that they inserted where Cersei comes to Bran's bedroom and speaks to Cat about her first child and losing her. Uh, that's a scene that add a lot of depth and texture to the Cersei's character. But yeah. yet in the books, we find out that Cersei tells Ned much later that she never gave birth to any of Robert's children, and she in fact had an abortion when she accidentally became pregnant with one. And Robert was unaware of all these. So I do think that these – this was one of these th- – these were all scenes if, – if we remember last week's episode where we had this interview with the Double D's where they said they ran out of budget and mm-hmm. pages to give to HBO, so they invented a bunch of people sitting around and talking scenes – I think this scene with Bran in his bedroom with with Kat and the scene where they discussed this child together was one of those invented scenes, and I think we're just not supposed to notice the the <laughs> okay. discrepancies uh, arri- uh, that that arrived. It was a kind of a desperate gamble. Uh, if if they didn't if they didn't do that, it's arguable that Game of Thrones would only have been like eight episodes long, mm-hmm. um, and probably the poor uh, on balance, the poor are for it. Some of those uh, yeah. some of those scenes were extraordinary.
0: Yeah, I mean, depending on which which scenes were originally there and which scenes were added, sure. Uh, I, I enjoy a
1: lot of those scenes. Uh, they added an additional scene where Ned and John get to say goodbye to each other on the King's Road. Uh, on balance, I think it's because without scenes like that, that the mystery of John's mother and the extreme circumstances around his being born and, and all that would be way more understated. Like as it yep. is, there's a lot of people that completely forgot about that as the series goes on, but mm-hmm. they set this kind of mystery up early. And that was one of the things where, you know, it gave them a good, to, a good moment to act off each other. And also, you know, something to set in our minds that, Oh yeah, there's, there's more to be told here. Uh, They added an additional scene in the series where Kat does her CSI Winterfell routine and finds the golden hair. Uh which serves to make her more suspicious of the Lannisters going into the Valerian blade attack incident that she and Bran suffer. Mm-hmm. Uh and I think it's just so the audience would kind of be hip to that idea before they needed to reveal it. I, I, I don't know why. It's a probably a show rather than tell kind of thing. Um uh, let's see. Uh, there's also a scene where when Sansa lies in front of King Robert about what happened at the, the, the river, at the stream where Joffrey gets beat up and his sword thrown into the river, mm-hmm. uh, Arya gets mad to the point where she attacks our uh, Sansa knocks her to the ground and starts beating her, which I threw in because everyone loves Arya. Yeah. In the books, she's a real pistol. <laughs> uh, Bran in the series doesn't have dreams about the three-eyed raven before he wakes up. For the first time um, In the series he wakes up when Sansa's direwolf Is executed in the books The dreams he has about the three eyed raven Are the things that eventually wakes him up What do you make of that change Wait what that's hard to follow Sorry so <laughs> in the books he has A sequence of dreams vivid dreams Involving this three eyed raven that wake him up From his coma okay in the series he Wakes up when Sansa's direwolf is executed By Ned
0: right right okay And then he starts dreaming later on Yeah uh pff. I don't know what to make of that. I mean, it it says more about the wolf, I guess, than the three-eyed raven at that point. Yeah. Which it's- is an interesting choice, I suppose. It's also just by... Re- I don't know how to talk about this without spoilers, frankly.
1: Okay. I think it's also just from from a television moment, it's an interesting, like, bang to, like, you know, he's in a coma we don't know sure, anything yeah. about these powers that he might have and then this wolf gets killed and it makes a direct connection to him and we're supposed to think that those events are connected and we later throughout the season find out that there are there is some unusual things going on with this, this Stark child so i think it's uh-huh. just from a dramatic possibility of him opening his eyes at this moment is, it's <laughs> it's just cool okay um, so the other thing, cause I know later on in the series, people start talking about people with jetpacks and warp drive sail ships and whatnot. Um, in the first season in the book, Kat and Sir Roderick arrive at King's Landing before Eddard Stark, because they take a ship from white, white Harbor, which is the, the major Harbor of the North. Uh, in the series, they come riding by horses in the King's Road to arrive after, which I thought was interesting that they actually made a concession from, a, well, we're going to change this in the books and it's going to change the order of time travel. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I still think all the other stuff is mostly horse shit in later seasons um, <laughs> of, of people complaining for, for no good reason, but it does seem like they were a bit more careful in the in, in the early goings to kind of make those travel time a little bit more reasonable, easier mm-hmm. to believe. Uh, in the book, Littlefinger has Catelyn summon the medium in the Red Keep, not in the brothel he owns. Uh, thus, Catelyn's negative reaction in the line, Back Alley Sally, did not appear in the books. And, um, for, and they're the poorer for it, right? Like... I guess having Littlefinger, ha- uh, you know, entertain her at his whorehouse not only allows the back alley Sally routine, but also shows him as a little bit more cunning. Like, right? Hey, you can't just be walking around like you know, in, on your like you're an official business. It adds, it makes him more mysterious and seems a little bit more worldly. I thought mm-hmm. uh, there's a, a, another invented talking head scene between uh, Queen Cersei and Prince Joff about him being able to rewrite history when he's a king. Um, I mean, I thought that's another one that they just invented for the page for page link's sake, but it was a good one. Yeah, I thought so. Um, it sets up a little bit of depth to Joffrey that's not in the books at that point. Uh, in the books, when the royal steward summons Eddard to his first small council meeting, Edward asks for and is provided with appropriate garments to attend this business. In a TV series, as the steward suggests so, and Edward ignores it. I mean, that's just to show the northmen. The northmen are, you know homespun, rough-and-ready, don't-give-a-shit-about-really-kind-of-costumes thing, right? Yeah, and especially Ned. Yeah, I feel like Ned is that to the nth degree. It makes him more like barefoot savages, because in the book it's like, you know, Ned, he might be from a poor northern region, but he knows what's expected of a lord of his position serving. It'd be like, you know... Jimmy Carter going to the White House in fucking overalls and a straw cap. Like, yeah, he's from Kentucky, or he's from a he's what from Georgia, and he's a peanut farmer. But yeah. he Picell knows the wears away suit. with it.
0: <laughs> Pysel's wearing his fucking
1: bathrobe. Sh- sure, sure, man, sure. But you know that's what's expected of of the Grand Maester <laughs> to be kind of a, right. a wizard type. Yeah. Um. In the books, Barristan Selmy the Kingsguard is present at the small council meeting, but he's absent in a TV series. Uh, this occurred because the double d s did not want Sir Barrton to know that Jora was a spy in the t v series, hmm. which will be interesting to see how that works out in the future yeah um the oh also for because there are a lot of people like the bag on their series is they you know they always change dialogue it was never for the better right w- how about this in the book, the saying is "The king eats and the hand takes the shit." In the series, the saying is altered as, uh, the king shits and the hand wipes. I feel like the latter is a much more pithy, you know, natural expression.
0: Yeah. King shits, hand wipes,
1: versus the king eats and the hand takes the shit. Yeah,
0: I mean, the hand probably takes some shit, but... That's, yeah, it's it's
1: not as right. elegant. That feels like an African proverb badly translated. You know, it's like <laughs> right, something there's yeah. something's a little lost there. and you know, again, I, I like I prefer the, the TV version. Uh it's not Tyrion Lannister, but the blacksmith at the wall, Do, uh, Donald Noy, who breaks up the fight between John Grin Toad and the other uh Night's Watch recruits and chides John for humiliating the other recruits and advises him to befriend them. Clearly this is a Martin's razor issue. Uh, who wants to introduce this blacksmith and why pass up an opportunity to make Tyrion look even more awesome? Right. You know, makes him look like he's this wise judge of character, which is going to snowball throughout this season and, in fact, the series. Uh, a, a notable omission is Lord Commander Mormont in the book has a raven that's much like the pirate, uh, 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 a parrot on a pirate's shoulder. He sits there and makes pronouncements like he says snow and crow and, and crow and corn, uh, and it's kind of like they, they both use it for comedy, mm-hmm. atmosphere, um, foreshadowing, and I don't know. Would you? What would you have thought about the Lord Commander having a talking parrot crow on his shoulder?
0: It sounds pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I'm kind
1: of glad they cut that. So. Super works in the books, though, huh okay uh Castle Black, in direct contradiction to books, is shown as having walls and a gate uh in the novels I mentioned as many times throughout the run, but uh it's it's a matter of like law that the, none of the castles on the uh the wall can have any walls facing south because okay. that's to prevent them from rebelling against the realm they're supposed to protect. They only have walls and fortifications to the north, okay, but I guess that would be silly looking. Like if you just had a whole bunch of like weird shaped buildings with no wall, it wouldn't even be a castle at all, would it? I don't know it's like those uh those cities that are built into the side
0: of mountains or whatever. It'd be kind of like one of those. I think it'd be cool looking
1: you know i i'm I agree with you, and they could have answered that as like part of John's coming to the wall like not yeah, much of a ca- could yeah. explain it like yeah. Yeah, I think it would would have been visually cool. Not only that, but I think it's another world-building moment where people really think about, oh, this is the relationship of the Night's Watch to this. In Like I said, that yeah. it could have been so easy to brought in. They didn't. Um, Sam tells Jon Snow about his father ordering him to the Night's Watch. Uh, in the book, Sam well remembers this scene with his father skinning a deer. Uh, obviously, they changed that- the story, but they took the deer skinning and gave it to Tywin Lannister when he's talking to Jamie about... His destiny. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was cool. Mm-hmm. There it's it's a great use of the book. Use use every part of the book you can. Uh in the T V series, Littlefinger tells Sansa the story about the hound and how his face is scarred by his brother. In the book, the story is told by the hound himself, who sternly warns Sansa that if she tells anyone he'll kill her. Why would he tell her the story then? So <laughs> This, there's a lot more to the relationship of Sansa and the Hound in the books. This is one of the Hmm. deeper parts of the story that you can only appreciate if you read the books. And there's a lot of implication that the Hound had a younger sister. And there's also an implication that this younger sister was murdered by his brother, the Mountain. So, you know, there's a lot of people that see, like, a sexual connection between Sansa and the Hound because they don't get this context in the books, whereas a lot of book readers just see it as... Sansa is the, the daughter, or not the daughter, the, the sister that he misses and wish he still had and is protective over her because he doesn't want to see her ground up by great men the way his sister was. Right. Um, so like I said that one little change kind of has ripple effects throughout the, the whole series of how we see Sansa and the Hound. Uh, this one surprised me. I forgot about it. In fact, I would have viciously denied it uh, had I not been confronted with the evidence. But Robin Aaron in the books is actually Robert Aaron. Sweet Robin is just his nickname. So he's named after... Robert Baratheon. This yeah, and so show. I, in in research in this part, I think that that's something that Gurm, Well, and I don't think he said as much. He said that one of the things I did when I was writing Game of Thrones is I set out to break as many writer traditions as possible. Like, you're not supposed to have characters with the same names or similar sounding names. You're not supposed to have this many characters. Period. And right. He's like, fuck it. That's the way real life works. You know, there's not one fucking Robert in all of America or James. It's like, so why would there sure. be in yeah. Westeros? And a lot of family names repeat, and you see, you know, people paying homage to that, and that, that makes it super fucking confusing. But it's also kind of cool and three-dimensional. Um, so who knew? Uh, the scene in which Jamie attacks Ed is different in the series. In the books, uh, Eddard and his guards are on horseback. They're away from the brothel. It's nighttime. It's raining. Jamie wants only to frighten Ed, Eddard, and he orders his men to kill the Stark guards. Uh Ned does not have a one-on-one duel with Jamie. Instead, he's injured in the scuffle when his wounded horse falls on him, which breaks his leg. Hmm. So, I guess the only, I I why do you think that they changed it to have this one-on-one duel with Ned and Jamie? Just cuz it's cool? Probably.
0: Yeah, they were probably at that point like we need some some cool sword fighting scenes. We've been kind of teasing this confrontation between Jamie and Ned the whole time. Right. Let's let's see it out. Yeah. Uh, Does that change anything later on when Tywin, you know, uh, I guess, scolds him for both, A, attacking it in the first place, and also, why the hell is he alive? I mean, that scene,
1: that's that's another scene that's only in the show, so, ah, yeah, I guess it would. Um, If it happened in the books, he probably would have had a slightly different take on it, although he'd still probably chided him for trying to... Scare Ned like what? Is right. that what a Lannister does? Like you know these mm-hmm. parlor tricks. Um, he's probably got he's probably got a way to disapprove of his no matter what his children does. <laughs> yeah, it's his kind of method of keeping them under his thumb. Uh, let's see the there's an addition. So ah that's too spoilery. I want to talk about it a lot, but we'll, we'll talk about it in the spoiler pod, part. Um, there's an additional scene. Uh, in Vay's where Danny holds a heated dragon egg and gets burnt by it. Or no, it doesn't get burnt, but her her slave girl Erie jumps in and grabs it and is burned. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not in the book. It's in the series, probably to go along with supporting the Danny as fireproof uh-huh. thing that ends up, you know, happening at the end of the season. It's a foreshadowing of that. Uh oh! Speaking of b- words that are better in the series than the books, uh, there's an ad- additional scene in King's Landing between Arya and Sirio, uh where the series only quote "There's only one thing we say to death, not today." Mm-hmm. That sequ- that that phrase does not appear in the books. The whole "not today," and judging by the number of T-shirts and posters huh. and Facebook uh, backgrounds and whatnot I've seen, that's that's a really popular change. Uh, Syrian's confessions of the crime is significantly extended in the series. In the books, he stopped immediately, while in the series, he gives several funny examples of his guilt. Yep, got, I enjoy that. Got no problem with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, in fact, the series is way funnier than not, not that the series is laugh out loud funny, but there's way more humor in the series than the books. And I will say that the book's attempts at humor is a lot more broad, right? And yeah. right, you know, a lot dick and fart kind of, and, yeah, yeah, kind of. Ugh. Uh, that that kind of stuff. So I, I appreciate the slightly. I mean, not not that there's no lowbrow humor. I mean, good sure. God, that's that's most of what Littlefinger taunts to to uh, Varys are. Yeah, but. and Tyrion's always talking about his dick and just sure. yeah, sure. But made I, the bald man cry. <laughs> uh, in the book, Tywin Lannister is not summoned to the court by Ned Stark to answer for the Mountain's crimes in the li- Riverlands. Instead, it's just to bring the Mountain to justice. I okay. speculate, much like they it had... matter? Well, I think that just much like they had Ned and Jamie personally square off, the fact that Ned, the head of his house, is calling out the the father and the, the Patrifamilius of the other great house is kind of like, uh, you know, they're, they seem to be pushing that as an almost like a sports team franchise. Like, are you a Lannister or a Stark kind of oh. thing? Um, and so that just amps up that animosity between the houses to have Ned call him out as a traitor. Okay. Uh, in the Eerie's High Hall, in the Tyrion's trial by combat, and the series that takes place right there by the open moon door, and immediately after Tyrion's confession, in the book it takes place in Eerie Garden the next morning. Uh, series is just way more exciting. All right, like so combat I, by the open door that was fucking. I guess cool. Braun doesn't throw anybody out the door then. <laughs> no, he just stabs him and kills him. Oh man, yeah. Yeah, the door is way cooler. Uh, also, in the TV series, the moon door is an opening in the floor of the Erie's High Hall. In the books, it is a weirwood door that stands between two per- pillars on one of the Erie's uh, High Hall's walls. So it's like a door, a side door that oh, you throw man. them out from the side of the mountain. Rather- yeah, it makes a hell of a lot more ar- architectural sense, though. It does, but still, yeah. way cooler in the show. Not, Not nearly as cool. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Tomard, one of the guards at Winterfell, is sent to Dragonstone with a letter informing Stannis Baratheon that his brother has no rightful heirs, making him a next-in-line succession. In the book, Stannis had already investigated this with John Arryn and knew that Jaime was the father of Cersei's children. That's a That's... really interesting change, that, that Stannis was, like, J- John Arryn's right-hand man and was with him throughout the... They're like Mulder and Scully with this investigation.
0: Oh, it wasn't just, like, John was... Was there investigating and had reported back? It was... No, I
1: guess Stannis, like, went with him oh. to investigate Gendry and all the other bastards, and he was, like, aware of the whole thing. Um, huh. I don't... The only thing I can think of is they wanted to avoid in the, the viewer's mind the question of why Stannis would not just go to his brother. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think... In the books, they they have a, uh, even in the show they talk about Stannis kind of being an asshole, and Robert says, "I never, you know, I have two brothers, but I don't really feel anything for them. You're the brother that I chose, to Ned." Right. But in the books, it's much more explicit. that Robert and St- Stannis, just don't get along. So if Stannis is like, "Yeah, your children are bastards," that God knows what Robert would do. Okay. He might kill Stannis. He might kill himself. He might. You know, so Stannis is more. Uh, when Jon Aaron dies, he flee he flees to Dragonstone just to kind of get away from all the ruckus and and, and decide and, and decide what he's going to do and gather support because you can't also just raise banners against the king when your king's your brother and he owns all the banners that you would be able to raise. Like right, they just don't want any of those questions to come up in their mind. I think. Okay. Uh, let's see. In the books, John has to convince her master, Maester Amon to pass Sam out of training because of his reading skills, um, because most of the Night's Watch recruits are low-born and few can read, while Sam is not only well-read but well-educated and can be useful for helping the blind Maester handle messages in his uh, little rookery. Uh, sure. But in the series, they just leave that Sam just automatically passes and is made a steward, mm-hmm. which I think we had a an email, a pretty eloquent email from a listener saying that they missed that because it showed kind of John's flashes of being a leader from the beginning. And yeah, I don't, if they were hurting for pages, that was a good scene. I'm not sure why exactly they kind of gave that short shrift. Hmm. Uh, let's see. That's not super, super interesting. I'm going to skip that. Uh, also in the books the the fight scene between Sirio and the Kingsguard and the Lannister men, in the books they are more lightly armored, except for the Kingsguard himself, and Sirio with his wooden sword does grievous damage to them, killing them with stabs mm. to their neck and their unprotected neck and eyes. Okay. In the series he merely disarms and injures them. Uh given that this is HBO. One. Yeah. But given this is HBO and we made mention of the fact that like I don't care how badass a swordsman you are, you hit someone in the head with a dowel rod that's wearing a helmet. Right. Either that's the worst helmet in the yeah. world or, or 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 what. Like <laughs> I, I I don't know. I, I'm not sure why they changed to that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's not exactly a football helmet right. type of thing. It's not
0: meant to like I guess it's not meant to really Stop the impact so
1: much it is as it is the piercing, right? Like, I mean, they were padded with leather. I mean, they weren't ignorant of what the effect of right, having but, your bell run yeah, was. Yeah, but leather. Yeah. Oh, it's. I mean, yeah. Padding. I'm not saying it's like Snell certified or it's it got any kind <laughs> of real utility in that. That, but it's yeah. still, still. Yeah. No, if I put a uh, fucking tin bucket on your head and smacked it a dowel rod, I wouldn't expect to incapacitate you. You yeah. probably wouldn't be happy about it. I think, but...
0: I think you're selling
1: the the wooden sword short.
0: <laughs> okay, it's a it's a pretty thick dowel rod. If we're going with that example, and
1: it's pro- I think in the books they're even weighted with lead, so it oh actually boy. has the, okay. the the weight and heft yeah. of a real sword. Because otherwise, the momentum, the, the balance, to make the balance work, right? Um, hmm. But yeah, y- you might be right. Uh, there is a duel in the series between Mago and Drogo, where uh, Drogo literally. Pulls out his th- uh, tongue through his ripped-out throat. Um, in the books, that con- that confrontation never happens. Uh, Mago complains that Danny's taken up all of his rape victims, but uh, Drogo actually sustains this wound, and it's a much more serious wound hmm. in a fight with a rival cow in pre- in preparation for his invasion. Okay. So it's a worse, much worse wound, uh, and it's not get, uh, delivered by one of his men. Uh, it turns out that, I guess, Jason Momoa uh, campaigned for a fight scene for him, because he didn't think that, like, he's like, well, we hear about Drogo being a badass, but we never really see it.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you take a look at
1: Jason Mimosa, and you think, <laughs> <laughs> holy
0: shit, that it tastes guy... tastes like
1: orange juice and champagne, <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, you think Conan the Barbarian. Right. Which, you know, he's in the movie, I mean... I I You don't really it. need to see him fight, but yeah, right. I, it was cool. Sure,
1: I I I love the change, and I think that he's right. Like I, there's already too much of people being said to be badass without any real That's evidence. That's true, Yeah, and like that would be like, good God, this 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 whole continent is populated by wharfs and 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 Boba Fett people that we <laughs> hear are dangerous and skilled and respected, but all we see them do is you know get their dicks kicked in.
0: Or those? I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the animal the Wharf was hunting on those pl- on
1: on his planet. Uh, sure, Vronks. Wasn't it something I, like it's that? Something like that. Yeah, I, I don't remember. Klingon Hellhounds. Um, let's see. I got to scroll because I I can I consolidate a whole bunch of shit. Uh, after being dismissed, Sir Barristan throws a sword at Joffrey's feet and tells him to add it to his throne. He suggests that Stannis will soon arrive to depose the boy king anyway. After the old knight leaves, Joffrey decides his last words are treasonous and orders the gold cloaks to go after him and apprehend him. Hmm. Haha! Barriston Barristan has to kill two members of the City Watch and escapes. In a series, he's simply allowed to leave.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: I'm all for making Barristan more of a badass whenever possible, but I thought his his words were badass enough. Yeah. Yeah, and I believed him. Melted down, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Like so much butter that I'll spread on your ass. Wait, <laughs> what? that's that's
0: that's taking it in the, <laughs> the wrong direction there. Yeah,
1: don't let me don't let me rewrite your pages, man. Uh, all homoerotic fan fiction <laughs> in the book. Walter Frey imposes one more condition on the Starks: two of his young grandsons, Big Walder and Little Walder, will be taken to Winterfell as wards, which Cat agrees to, thinking that Bran needs the company of children of his age. Big Walder, Little Walder. Yeah. Well, he runs out of names, you know? They're just all Walders and... Really? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, God. He's like George Foreman up in there. He's just got George Jr., George Jr. to second, George Jr. to God. third. Uh, now, interestingly enough, as you would expect, these Walders are real shit. And they're not exactly the uh, compa- the, the true bosom companions to, uh, to to brand that Cotton might have might imma- Im- imagined.
0: Makes sense, yeah.
1: But, yeah, I mean, that's just more characters you don't need. You need to Martin Razor that shit. Uh, TV series changed Shay's backstory, which is not detailed in the books as being from the Free Cities, because while they enjoyed the addition of actress uh, Sybil Kikili, I guess is her name, but but they wanted to have some explanation for why she speaks with a German accent. Okay. I would have said next and found another one, but, you know, that, that <laughs> works too. Right. Uh, the story about Taisha in the books is slightly different in the series. Tyrion was 13 when he met her, not 16, which is consistent with us not being creeped out by their non-Western sexual values. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, After she was gang-raped by the soldiers, Tywin forced Tyrion to be her last. Tywin soldiers paid her a silver coin each, uh, but Tyrion was ordered to give her a gold coin as Lannisters are worth more. So the effect of this is just to make it even more traumatic for Tyrion, right? Like being thirteen instead of sixteen, I feel like taking t- your wife after all the rest of the barracks that had to go right. and then yeah. paying her. It's like it's it's fucked up. So there are a couple of things wrong with this scene. A
0: it's tough to force a guy to do it when he doesn't want to. Tough. True. Not impossible, but tough. Right. Uh I don't I don't know how Tywin can just say, Tyrion, get in there and plow. Yeah. And maybe he's Tyrion's going through the gonna-
1: motions. I mean,
0: I mean Maybe, yeah. it's possible, but yeah. the other thing is, if the Lannisters are worth more, she's not paying him, mm-hmm. he's paying her, shouldn't she get less because the value of Tyrion doing her is worth mm. more?
1: Mm. Shouldn't she get it like a copper? It's debatable. It's like people okay. charge more for wedding parties, you know? It's like the same party. You charge archipa- more for you, wedding parties? Yeah, like, so... Oh, uh, then other non parties? This is something I've discovered. Parties? Yeah, like, you sure, go to yeah. a space, like, uh, for... I know this for a fact, because I went to the Rheingeist, mm-hmm. who we already independently approached as Bald Move, as like, hey, if we wanted to rent out for some kind of live event, we got one set of numbers. Six months later, I asked them about a wedding party, and I got another four times inflated numbers. I think people Surprising. charge more for more important uh, personages. I mean, obviously, the point isn't that she was doing extra work. It's 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 some further kind of fucking mind game he's playing here, right? Right. But right. yeah, uh, in the in the book, so so during Tyrion's battle scene, which we talked a little bit last week about how they envisioned it as being kind of this cool scenery, he's dancing underneath the mountains' feet, the mountains rampaging. Yeah. Uh, in the book, he, he gives his battle speech. Um, He's before uh, riding in the Vanguard and fighting a knight whom eventually yields to him. He's also described as wearing a mishmash of armor instead of his custom Lannister suit from TV because his armor is still at Casterly Rock, as you'd expect. Hmm. Uh, this causes the audience to miss him spearing a horse with a unicorn helmet, the only thing they could find to fit his head.
0: What? And that dis- would kill him. I- yeah, right, like a horse rear
1: up and then yeah. yeah, you'd think that would cause some cervical spine damage. but
0: <laughs> Yeah, compress the shit out of his...
1: Vertebrae, man. Well, and you know, in a universe where, so I guess armor's just way more effective in the books because <laughs> in the show a dowel rod can defeat a helmet, right. whereas in the show the the books the unicorn helmet is proof against all. You know how much do horses weigh? Five, six, pounds? hundreds, hundreds of pounds coming down on you. Yeah, hmm. I always thought that was weird in like the Lord of the Rings too, where Sam's able to fend off that spider just with the. It, it like, lands on him with all of its body weight to crush him, and then, yeah, he hits it with a foot and a half sword, but, like, I feel like there should just be a, yeah, maybe (laughs) Shalab dies, but there should just be a smear of jelly on the ground where the Hobbit was. Right. Uh, But, yeah, of course, in the series, Tyrion, uh, in a budget-friendly move, is knocked out cold before the battle even begins.
0: Yeah. Funny, Uh, but not nearly as cool.
1: Yeah, so in the books, Yorin tells Arya that the man who brought Gendry to him was the same one who told him to delay leaving and be at the Sept of Baelor. This is very hinted to be Varys, the okay. one that's facilitating all that, mm-hmm. uh, because the trial of Eddard was supposed to result in him being sentenced to take the Black, and then he'd be going to Yorin with the Wall. Uh, I actually think—I'm not sure why they didn't hint around this, because it makes it a lot cleaner. We're left with a lot of questions like, why the hell is Gendry here, and why is he at this— Great set to Baylor. Why isn't he already gone? Right. Like, I feel like if, again, it's weird because it's knowing that they as were, a coincidence. And, and knowing that they were hurting for extra scenes that just involve people talking, it makes right. it really weird that they invented all this other stuff and didn't have a little bit more of this connective tissue. But then again, mm-hmm. I don't really know how to make a Hollywood production. Uh, the brawl between Arya and Hot Pie is much more violent in the books. Aria breaks Hot Pie's nose. Hot Pie is the fat kid that threatens her, if you didn't know. Uh, And then when she turns on Lamy, who is the other kid that threatened her, Hot Pie attacks her with a jagged rock. Arya then beats Hot Pie till he shits his pants. What? What? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of that lowbrow humor for you. Again, Arya's a badass in the books, man. Uh, If anything, they undersell it in the series. Uh, Does she ever stab him? Well, she stabs the other boy. This is not... The hot boy is not the other... Oh, the the big fat... Yeah. The, sec, the one where there were two kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right when she's getting into the wagon, the and, paddy and, wagon. And Gendry
0: eventually scares them off. Right. Although in the books, he doesn't. He just
1: warns her about the rock attack. And then right. she does okay. the, the shit, the literal shit knocking out of him. Yeah. Uh, I feel like in
0: the show, she was ready to, but... Yeah.
1: Yeah. Actually, she's probably just gonna run him through. <laughs> Uh, in the books, before Danny steps into the pyre, she, acts, she asks uh, Rakaro, Jogo, and Ago to be her blood riders and assigns them as her co's, or uh, what's a co, K- Ko, K-O, is a uh, um, Dothraki lieutenant, I, su- I guess, is what you'd call them. Okay. Uh, all three of them refuse at this point, declaring that only a male can lead the Khalasar and have blood riders, and she is just a Khaleesi. However, after right. she emerges unharmed from the pyre with the three hatched dragons, the three Dothraki warriors recognize her as blood of my blood. Um, they kind of give that stuff all to Jorah, and I guess that's fine. Uh, I think this just reinforces the uh, patriarchal hierarchy of the Dothraki and what a thing it is that's, that Danny's overcome this. But I feel like that's there in abundance, sure, already in yeah. the show. So yeah. Uh, but it's kind of cool. They reject her until she magically comes back from a fiery death with dragons, and then it's like, okay, whatever, YOLO, yeah. be your Blood Riders. Uh, and that's all, those are the, the major differences. Uh, again, it's not an exhaustive list, um, you can find that. Uh, the best place is, uh, the uh, Game of Thrones wiki, uh, the wikia, um, and if you, it's if the first result if you search for season one differences between the book and the show for Game of Thrones, it's the first result. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in fact, all the all the all the all the primary sources, except for my own memory, are the first result of that Google search because I'm lazy and Google's effective. <laughs> <Not really>. uh, <laughs> before we get to feedback, I want to share a couple things with you. Number one, recently we passed 20 million downloads, and when we hit a milestone like that, uh, we like to do a little bit of a Q and A. That's something that the uh, Club Bald Move supporters get to do all the time with us, but uh, you know, not everyone's a club member. And we just take general questions from the audience. And you can send those to us at QA at BaldMove.com or send them to us on our forums. Um, There'll be a sticky thread about that in the forums. Uh, but yeah, anything that you would like to know about you know, behind-the-scenes podcasting or our opinions on any other television or movie or video game or whatever. Like, uh, you know, how our bowel movements are going. Like, I'm not sure we'll answer everything. But, right. you know, uh, it's, it's there to be asked. Uh, asked at QA at baldmove dot com. Uh, we will probably be uh, doing that over the next couple weeks, and it'll be a video podcast. You can also get a get a gander at the how Ugly, we are in real life. Mm. Uh, also, last chance I get to talk about this with our Game of Thrones audience, but uh, Rocket City NerdCon.org. We're going appearing, to be appearing at Huntsville, Alabama, the weekend of October 22nd through 23rd. For 25 bucks, you can get a weekend pass, or $15 is the day pass. And uh, we're going to be putting on lots of different panels. Uh, we're going to be appearing at our booth and, and meeting and greeting folks. Uh, there's going to be a fun uh game of thrones themed game that we're going to be playing in front of an audience it's, that i'm looking forward to where you can win some game of thrones uh prizes mm-hmm. uh just by appearing and it sounds like a good time so if you that sounds like something you'd be into go to rocket city and uh get your tickets today uh finally if you'd like to support bald move And if you've been listening to us for just this season or many, you see how much uh, time and effort we put into these podcasts. Uh, Every week, uh, we we, we put in a lot of elbow grease to give you a nice uh, polished uh, product on time that you can rely on. And the only way we can do this is uh, by doing it on a full-time basis. Uh, We do many, many podcasts through the week, usually about one a day coming out. And that stuff requires full-time effort and it requires full-time funding for at least us two dudes Two ways you can do that, club.baldmove.com, where you can sign up for a very low fee uh, to get a bunch of premium features, or you can go to amazon.baldmove.com, where you can help support us just by shopping on Amazon. How easy is that? So regardless of how you do it, club.baldmove.com or amazon.baldmove.com. Know that we really appreciate it, and we could not do what we do without your continued support. So thank you. So shall we get the feedback? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Josh L says, I feel like the emailer who speculated about Yorin's reasons for aiding Arya left out one justification that the show itself presented. Remember, Yorin tells Ned that he rushed into King's Landing to tell him about Kat kidnapping Tyrion, nearly exhausting his horse to death in a process. His stated reason for doing that is he feels Benjen is as much his brother as Ned's. By extension, he would know Arya's been Jen's niece, and would likely be willing to protect her not only because of the Starks and much of the North's respect for the Watch, but also because he's helping an innocent family member of one of his best friends and respected colleagues. Mm-hmm. Fair point. I,
0: I don't think so. I don't think we ever questioned why he would do it, but was this. Allowable, yeah, right. And like then, so more guess, like, is this breaking his oath right, or whatever?
1: Right. Like, and like, and those are all wrapped up in those questions. You know, like that's the, yeah. the reasons he would do it versus why he's doing it. Um, sure, and I, yeah, I, I think it's also probably wrong to say he did it for any one of these reasons. It's probably a combination, right? Like, right. I don't know that he does this for Lannister child. Brynus no, probably keeps not. Riding, uh, yeah.
0: I mean, there's there's some sympathy points, uh, some a sympathy card to play there at that moment where Ned's being put on trial. he says, go
1: get my daughter. Uh, Josh also says, Jim's wondered frequently why Tywin hadn't killed Tyrion in the past if he was so intent on seeing him dead. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure I entirely agree Tywin wanted Tyrion killed outright. If he did, he probably would have gone through with the drowning him the day after he was born. (laughs) Right. Uh... I think part of Tywin wants Tyrion to prove he's more than a lecherous drunk to prove that he's worthy of being a Lannister, similar to the sentiments he expressed to Jaime in the deer cleaning scene. Mm. Sending Tyrion and his men into Vanguard is something of a win, semi-win for Tywin. If Tyrion falls, he dies gloriously in battle, or at least that's the story they can tell. If he manages to figure out a way to survive, maybe he'll prove something in the process, be it marital prowess or enough wits to make it through. Tyrion certainly comes across as a throw the kid in the deep end and see if they swim kind of dad. I imagine he's more than willing to follow that philosophy to the extreme with Tyrion. So, does that make sense? Like, I've got yeah, this useless lump of a Lannister, mm-hmm. and if he dies in battle, that's probably better than him, you know, choking on wine while he's getting blown by a whore, mm-hmm. as far as what the papers will say. And if he lives, then his his legend grows a little bit, and maybe I'll make a man out of him.
0: Yeah, I mean... That makes a certain sense. On the other hand, I, I mean, Tywin probably doesn't like Tyrion much for killing his wife right. uh, on the way out.
1: Um, I mean, cl- to be clear, he, we don't blame Tyrion for this. No, this no, is, no, right? This is Tywin projecting, probably. Uh, yeah. I- I'm saying things that Tywin would probably say yes. about him. Yes,
0: uh, and you know, the the idea that uh, he, yeah, he's a Lannister, but I feel like Tywin is ashamed of him just just because of his physical form. Oh, I agree. Like I, I think Tywin views that as um... unforgivable. Well, yeah, certainly killing his wife. I would imagine. I, I don't know. I, for for me, I always imagine Tywin hating Tyrion a little bit more than I guess is on screen in season one. I don't know. Yeah, I like maybe I said, I'm trying to imagine.
1: Like I'm trying to remember exact. Right. I mean, no, I, I think that there's. It's a complicated relationship, and I think that eventually the show does it justice. Um, But yeah, like it's it's an open question, and there's like if you want to go into there's lots of spoilers and tinfoil you can go in like backstory and like why that might be even more than what it is on the face of it. But
0: I I suppose that does make a certain amount of sense, right?
1: Like if he's already in this situation, he's got Tyrion. Yeah. Well, let's see what he turns out to be. Sure. It's almost like uh, it's playing with house money. Yeah, like it's yeah. you got a Lannister who's not really a Lannister, so like you know if something it's it's like if 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 he does something with himself, it's a bonus, right? Jimmy D, on the last podcast, you guys were discussing a strategic move of Rob and why he had to use the twins across the Trident. I didn't hear anyone answer correctly, so I thought I'd weigh in with the answer. And I got mm. three or four people that gave the same answer, and I was much appreciated because it finally helped me understand. Rob was on his way to River Run, which is besieged by Jamie and his smaller army. He would gain the support of both the Freys and the Ma- uh, wait a second and the Mallisters, adding a few more thousand men to his army. I okay. think he meant Freys and the Tullys, or maybe it's the Mallisters. Hmm. Uh, maybe that's a Tully uh, Tully faction of the army. Uh, the reason he didn't travel the King's Road is because it would ha- it ran him right into Tywin and his main army. I believe the thinking behind it was to take on Jamie's smaller army and then free River Run and to avoid the full brunt of Tywin's army, which was around the same size as Rob's. Sure, he could have fought Tywin and possibly won, but if he lost that battle, the war surely would have been lost. A very big risk indeed. So that makes okay. sense. Like, Why go through two armies to get your main objective if you can cross the, the twins and just head up one army led by the more inexperienced commander.
0: And it also, I think explains why splitting up his army works. Cause it gives, yeah it gives his main, it gives Rob's main army time to conquer Jamie's smaller army.
1: Right. By sacrificing a couple thousand people to right. Tywin's army that probably would have, Killed them, yeah. And it makes sense, because Tywin wanted Jamie to go cut off River Run because that they probably would have sided with, with Rob. Right. So he's trying to cut him off from a source of more troops, and also garrison the king's road to, like, block him from either approach. So, Right. Makes sense of both ends. Rob just uh, got the better of him. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Lisa S. said, uh, during last week's podcast, you mentioned an email where the writer had suggested how to fully man the wall by making stricter laws that would cause more people to join <laughs> right. between unreasonable prison and or death sentences to join the Night's Watch. It's kind of a Giuliani-era, you know, broken window theory. Yeah, if you break a window, you go to the wall. Prohibition, man. Graffiti, you go to the wall. Oh, can uh, you
0: imagine if they just cracked down on drinking?
1: Sure. Public everybody, drunkenness. Everybody goes to the wall. Public nudity, swearing in public. <laughs> right. You can just swell the ranks. Uh, but this gave me an idea. Since the wall is so short on men and the ones they have are mostly bottom-the-barrel types, why not change the rule about no lands, no children, or wives? They promised land to build on in the gift, which, if you don't know, the gift is this, I think it's like a 10-mile stretch um, from the wall down south that it's it was given from the north to the wall, and that's, like, for their exclusive use to farm and raise cattle on, and it's kind of, like, you know, a way for them to provide for themselves. Okay. Uh, but say they promised land to build on and the gift for the men who already have wives and families and any who start after joining the Night's Watch, maybe more m- men would be willing to join, especially uh, the poor of Flea Bottom, uh, hmm. which is, the, if you don't know, is a, the poor district of, uh, uh, of King's Landing. Flea Bottom, I mean... The, the name itself describes it. What do you think of that that policy? If you're king in Westeros, do you uh, enact that policy? It feels a little bit like
0: trying to get – like, there, there's a license plate shortage in America, right? Right. And we're trying to get more people to build license plates, to make license plates. Right. So we want to send more people to prison. So now we're incentivizing people to go to prison? Right. If
1: you go to prison, you can actually take a woman with you. You can have kids. You know, you're not just a cell. You can have, like, an acre of land to build a house on. At that point, is it even prison? Like, I mean, yeah, you can't leave. Right. But you have so...
0: It's like uh, Pablo Escobar, right? right? Like, if we give everybody a mansion and everything they could want... But they can't leave. I mean, yeah. that'll annoy
1: some people, but some people will fucking love it. And what do you do about the children? Like, you know, what if someone amasses some wealth? So here's here's my my thought is the Night's Watch is essentially like the King's Guard only for the entire realm. And the reason you don't want the okay. King's Guard having titles and lands and all that is because it allows them to be bribed. Someone could go in and say, right. "I'll give you such and such a land if you betray the king." Well, if the King's Guard are are Uh, you know, barred by law from holding lands and titles and whatnot, then they're kind of untouchable, and that's what the Night's Watch is supposed to be. So, Mm -hmm. like, while that would, as you say, Lisa, that would definitely swell the ranks and make it incentivize people to join up. Um, I don't know if that actually gives them a better cohesive fighting force, one that could be swayed by titles and lands and. You know, if someone that's thing—is if, if someone shows like distinction up there, then like, can they leave? You know, like a, what? Like if people could leave at any time, if it was like a f- four year kind of draft, I'm sure a lot of people would would more people would join. But I don't know. It is weird that they stick to this eight thousand year tradition without any change in the face of all these different challenges. But yeah, I'm not sure exactly how you'd make the wall great again.
0: Yeah, I mean, you'd also give people something to live for, mm-hmm. which you might not want. Yeah. Like, if, if they have too much to lose by going to battle in the north, uh, maybe they won't. Maybe they'll just, you know, find a reason not to.
1: I, I still find it weird that the wall is that out of favor. Like, I get it's a hard post, but some of these families are massive. Like, look at all the frays. Mm-hmm. How many sons does he have? 30, 40? And and all of them think it's preferable to live in this dank dungeon of their fathers where he's insulting <laughs> them and lording it over and they're never going to get any pretty... Wa- like, it, that's preferable to going up and having some adventure up on the watch? Like, some of these noble houses have to have so many sons and they're never going to have any chance of distinction or be able to inherit the house. And they're just going to be always being living off the 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 generosity of their father or their older brother. Like, really? No. Nobody thinks the wall? Like Like, look how many... Look how many people that we have that voluntarily join our army to go to dangerous, inhospitable climates just because there's a chance of glory and distinction and, and honor and, you know, all the things that the Night's Watch say to protect. Like, yeah. I don't know. Isn't that arguably
0: what Bingen did? Yeah. Uh,
1: so, I mean, there are some people up there, I sure. imagine,
0: that are like that. Right. Who are just like, eh, I'm not going to get anything down south, let's go north. Right. Um, but yeah, they're... They're way fewer than and like the every thieves winter. Thieves and every
1: winter, you don't have like you know a couple like when the white ravens fly out from the citadel announcing it. You don't have a bunch of peasants that like ha- haven't had great crops this year, or that don't have a lot of money, like right. don't have any prospects. Like, well, I could starve here, or I could go up and get three hots and a cot up on the wall. Like it feels, you know. Yeah,
0: I I think it's the the permanence of. Of that decision right but you know like, what's
1: permanent freezing to death in the winter <laughs>
0: well I, right i'm going back to like your your thing where oh i'm living off the grace of my oh, brother yeah. or father or sure. whatever like once it's it's not just like oh i'm gonna go up here and have an adventure for a while it's like the rest of my life yeah so, like how
1: well would the united states armed forces recruit if yeah, it was for life
0: <laughs> right it's a much
1: harder sell yeah
0: so, I, I don't know uh, people go up there for all kinds of
1: reasons i guess all right, that's all the non-spoiler email we've got. We've got a couple more things to talk about in a spoiler edition. But, yeah, this is, if if, if you are a spoiler-phobe, this is the last time we'll uh, be talking with you about uh, Game of Thrones. But we have a bunch of stuff that we're covering now that you may be interested in if you're fans of quality television. Right now, mm-hmm. Jim's covering Halt and Catch Fire. Mm-hmm. We're jointly working on a uh, uh, Mr. Robot project that will be concluding over the next two weeks. Uh, Cecily and I started American Horror Story, which started off uh, pretty good, and uh, Westworld's coming in two short weeks, and we'll be yep. covering that from day one, if so if you're a fan of high-profile HBO projects involving sci-fi fantasy, <laughs> which I think you might, I think this might be talking about you, uh, stick with us. Our new show is gonna be called Watching Westworld, and it will, we'll have a preview podcast out for it next week, mm-hmm. same time as this one. It's so convenient. You don't even have to change your podcast listening habits to stick with us it's true but yeah go to baldmove.com. uh you can follow us on twitter at bald move or on facebook.com slash bald move it's the best way to keep up with all of our latest releases and what we're up to because we'll be doing a lot of stuff between now and uh next year's game of thrones watching dead or walking dead coming back yeah in october mm-hmm. uh so yeah uh hope you'll join us and, and stick with us if not we'll see you next year We're back with the spoiler section what do you got it's all listener from here on out man okay all listener i'm done i just gotta read <laughs> uh and make inane comments nick in listening to your season one episode 10 rewatch discussion of daenerys and her off and on ability to be immune to fire mm-hmm. i was struck with an idea in both major instances where daenerys is consumed by fire in season one with the burning of cal drogo's body and the latest season with the burning of the cows it dawned on me that in both instances she's essentially sacrificing to the red god or to the faceless god or to, you know, the stranger like in any aspect of death Uh, in season 1 both Khal Drogo's body and that of the still alive witch are being burned and sacrificed And the latest season a gaggle of cows are sacrificed. This becomes more intriguing when you consider the power of the king's blood is supposed to have in the eyes of the red god and the notion that cows are essentially kings of the Dothraki could her surviving the fires be the red god granting her momentary power? maybe I mean, did the Red God grant her momentary power in her tent when she picked up the the, the super hot egg? Yeah, when she was stepping into super her hot, hot scalding water in her hot tub, like yeah. that's where there were these... people burning just outside of both of those rooms. Sure, so you didn't sure. realize that, but. I mean, I think you're on to something as uh-huh. far as you know. Obviously, you burn you you burn Cal Drogo and this witch. You got some blood magic going. You burn all these mm-hmm. cows. Like, I, I don't know how that's going to change or manifest. It's also complicated because, as we read last week, uh, Gurm himself is not a big fan of the fireproof Targaryen theory. So, I I right. honestly don't know if they're going to, you know, because you've always said, well, the logical thing is for her to just march. Up, you know, all, all she needs is naked Danny marching up, uh, being carpeted by fire by the dragons all all through the the you know Red Keep, right? F- and until she gets to the Iron Throne, and then who's going to who's going to stop her? She'll be wreathed in flame the entire time. Yeah,
0: can't get close enough.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I don't know where they're going now that they have doubled down on this fireproof thing because it seems like that's a pretty hot strategy. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> Uh, uh right. but yeah. That that's the thing. Like I get a lot of, I got a lot of emails this week about people wanting to rehash the white resurrection scene and I I'll say to everybody what I say to people emailing me is like it's not enough to say, well, it could be this, it could be that. You have to explain it with all known instances of the thing. And also it has to be falsifiable. Like, you know, people are like, Well, maybe white technology works to such that there's a time delay for them to bring bring them back. Time well, delay. That didn't happen at Hard Home. Guy raised his hands. Fuckers right. had just died got up and became whites. Hmm. Like what are you know and, and also that's a fine theory but there's nothing on screen to indicate that like I, I feel like the best one is still the fact that the, ma- the the wall's magic had depowered like all the magic in all the world you know we've heard from the pyromancers we've heard from the warlocks in Quarth, we've heard from uh, the uh, from Melisande herself that her powers seem to get stronger when the dragons return and I'm not saying that's a causal relationship mm-hmm. it's just whatever thing is powering the magic of this world is waking back up yeah um, Maybe. So I bet there again, that's just my fan fiction idea Until something is proven from the books or show, we're just guessing here And it's not super interesting to me mm-hmm. uh, Susan S. During your latest podcast, I heard you reference the deleted scene between Tywin and Pycelle. Uh I wanted to bring your attention to further significance of that scene You reference how it showed Tywin fishing as a continuation of his outdoorsman persona There is a deeper significance to the fact that he was fishing, though when we first met Tywin, he was skinning a deer. The point there was the stag is a sigil of House Baratheon, so as a visual reference to the Lannisters defeating the Baratheons. The deleted scene from Season 3 showing Tywin fishing is symbolic of the Lannisters defeating House Tully, whose sigil is a fish. In the first episode of si- Season 4, Two Swords, Tywin has a sword ice melted down and then throws a wolf pelt on the fire, showing the Lannisters defeating House Stark. The wolf pelt was used as a scabbard for ice, per the Season 1 episode, pre- uh, uh, premiere episode. So this is a very neat way for the show creators to show Tywin symbolically defeating his enemies. I really wish they'd left hmm. that deleted scene in, so that all three scenes would be shown within the context of the episodes. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, me too. Uh, Tywin is a is a is a fisher and hunter of men, mm-hmm. as as well as their uh, more mundane varieties. Um, she continues, Susan does that as for why Gendry joined the Night's Watch. The book strongly hint that Varys arranged it for his safety. He like as he likely arranged the apprenticeship. Varys either suspected or heard that Robert's bastards were in danger after his death. Unlike the show, Gendry still has a role in the books. Unlike the show taking Gendry to Stannis, in the books, he continues on with the Brotherhood Without Banners and is at the inn in the Riverlands when Brienne happens by and they have their encounter with the Bloody Mur- Murmurs. Just recently, the actor who played Gendry was in a scene, scene arriving in Belfast uh, for filming, for what that's worth. Interesting. For filming or just vacation? Uh, I saw the I saw a photo of him. Well, why else would he be in Belfast? I vacation? Mean, did, he, did he make enough Gendry money that he can just vacation there? Oh yeah, yeah, well, lots of money.
0: He, they paid him a million dollars an episode, in Seinfeld
1: money. <laughs> I think he had to pay to have a uh, a nude scene <laughs> with Melisandre myself. Yeah, uh, or that was so. that was that was payment in full. Uh, she gave him one gold coin. <laughs> because <laughs> baratheons are worth no it'd be a silver <laughs> stag because that's you know oh of course yeah that's not much uh your summary of the fate of the hill vale hill tribes is accurate thank god because i was kind of winging it uh some remain in the Crownlands after the Blackwater, and some return home there are mentions here and there in the books that with their better weapons they're already making a greater nuisance of themselves than before I recently read an interesting essay by a great A Song of Ice and Fire blogger that posed some interesting ideas of what may come of them in the future books, especially Timot Son of Timot of the Burning Man, or the Burnt Men rather. <laughs> Burning men's a totally different tribe. Uh, They're not very serious. You know. They they, <laughs> they they amass once a year, nothing much comes of it. Uh, if you have any interest, you can find it at SweetIceAndFireSunray.wordpress.com. The essay is found in the drop-down menu under sands and the Giants. If you search for "Sands and the Giants, it's the number one result. I recommend reading it, and I was going to try to summarize um, some of – but this this thing just went on forever. I, I hit the print button to see – 97 pages if what? I printed it out.
0: Oh, Jesus.
1: Of this analysis of essentially this prophecy that's contained in the books about Sansa defeating a uh, uh, a, a, a giant made of ice and snow.
0: Are they trying to write an ebook here? Is that what's happening? This is that? a single article? Yes. 97 pages? Yes. Get out of here.
1: No. No um, one's going to read that. Well, you're talking to a person who did.
0: You read all 97 pages?
1: Uh. I read about forty-five. Yeah, I was like, I was a halfway through, and there I was about probably an hour into it, and I'm like, what the fuck? And I looked and see that I was nowhere near the end. <laughs> so then I skipped to the part about the uh, the hill tribes to see if I could even make it sense of that. But no, it's it's and that's the thing. Like this shit is a wormhole, man. Right? Like all the different uh, people doing analysis of things to come and low other prophecies have got greater or lesser fulfillments. It's it's crazy. Uh, Maggie O. So, anyway, thank you for that, Susan. Uh, hell, I'll go ahead and link the blog in our show notes, too, so you don't have to Google for it. So everyone else can also not read it. <laughs> I'm telling you, there will be people that read it. Jesus. Just because you're allergic to the printed page. Not, uh, No,
0: it's not even the printed
1: page. Yeah, you get an audio book, single, you listen to it.
0: Well, I'd probably read a 97-page book, but <laughs> I'm not going to read a 97-page blog post.
1: Even if it's exhaustively uh, researched with tons of quotations, uh, here's the thing. Here's the real truth. I'm not that interested in this prophecy thing. Right, right. So, Uh, yeah, you know that's the thing. Like a lot of people aren't. I'm kind of in. Honestly, I'm in that category. Like I. When I first got into hmm. this, I was super, and I still like the mainline theories, but like stuff like this, where you're trying to divine the extra meaning between uh, a fulfillment that it's already had one minor fulfillment, where Sansa, you know, had a fight over the Snow Winterfell with the right. Sweet Robin character, um, and and trying to just predict what Martin's going to do. Like I, I just rather wait for the books to come out, yeah. and I don't know how to square that attitude with the fact that I was super fucking, and maybe it's just fatigue. That like I was at a fever pitch three years ago. I was still pretty hot two years ago. I'm engaged a year ago. Now I'm just like, you know what? There's not even been a. There hasn't been a new book out in six years. Like, how much of this stuff can I take seriously? How much of it is? That's the thing. Those those theories stuff go from
0: being. You know, generally interesting to more and more nitpicky and specific right like
1: well that's what that's what I was amazed by this one because it was the first like long form substantive theory that I'd never really heard of and actually didn't fall apart on like first look. I'm oh, like, wow, okay. this is actually exhaustively supported with quotes and it it weaves things like like unrelated drama like the Sir Hugh dying in season one and the first book with shit that's going down and a dance and like hmm. that's the kind of like it. To the extent there are still secrets left to be mined from the books, they are going to be things like this. Right. Like, really obscure stuff that if someone bothers to tease out all the quotes after they've read it a dozen times, they'll be able to put two and two together. And it still might be wrong. Because part of me wants to say, not even George has thought about this shit that much. Uh Uh-huh. If he had, the books would be done by now. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, back off of that tangent. Maggie O said, I completely forgot about Rego's fate before the rewatch of Game of Thrones. I remember that Danny was pregnant and that there was a prophecy about her son and that he died and Drogo died and that Danny couldn't have any more kids. Beyond that the details were fuzzy. I obviously didn't care too much about this plot point, so when Danny told Re- uh, was told that Drogo died as stillborn monster, I didn't register as much more than a sad turn of events and I moved on. Now on rewatch, my seasoned winter adult self wonders if Rego is actually dead. We didn't see the body and most of other prophecies <laughs> that we've heard in Game of Thrones have come or are coming true. We've never had a prophecy be proved completely untrue. Even the most strange dreams and visions seem to have led somewhere. So my question, does the Dosh Khaleen, are they seen as an authority in Dothraki culture? um, Or if they are seen, how did they become such if their prophecies are just bunk? Do they tell every pregnant Khaleesi that her son will be the stallion that mounts the world, hoping that at some point it must be true? If so, why haven't they been fired as seers before this? <laughs> is it that Rego could have been the stallion that mounts the world if Danny hadn't meddled? Is that person lost to the Dothrakis forever because of Danny's decision to trust Miri Mazdur? If Rego were still alive, would it change anything except to add another convoluted plot to a story that's supposed to be wrapping up? Is this prophecy just going to be a dangling thread? Why you got any thoughts?
0: Why do. I mean, th- this is not something that is foreign to us in modern-day society. I mean, there are many right. people who claim to have knowledge of the future, who, who claim prophecies, and thousands upon thousands of people follow them. Right. Regardless of whether the prophecies come true, they wait for the next one. Uh, I mean, this is not something where, up oh, your prophecy was wrong, we're going to behead you, or right. something like that. It's just like the the... She comes up with something that says, hey, uh, yeah, it didn't work this, out because she a traded test. the horse blood. She did the right. horse blood thing wrong. And this and, is just
1: a test for your horse faith. Right. Have faith one. in the great stallion. Here,
0: here's the greater prophecy. And right. like They just keep piling the bullshit on top of the bullshit. and right. And people believe it. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't view this as like. So, and also, let's get Jorah wrapped up in this mix because Jorah presumably is there. Mm-hmm
1: when all this goes down right so jorah famous fortune teller jorah right. long live the mormons they're just like sorcerers of the north
0: yeah uh but but he's he would have to if let's say rego's alive
1: he would have to be lying to danny
0: about right. it right because he was in this room i'm sure he saw it all i don't know uh, dudes dudes of this era tend to fuck off whenever well, like, it's like okay here she is i'm out but he, but he was kind of like nodding along. Yep, yep. Dragon scales, sure. crazy face. Yeah, no, leather tail. No, Oof. no good. Oof. No Did good. Did not Andy. take after his mother at all. <laughs> right. So you'd have to buy that
1: Jor is lying to her. And at this point, I'm not so sure I buy that. Yeah. The other thing is, even in the nature of prophecies and Game of Thrones, like it's conclusively proven that Melisandre, her visions weren't wrong. Her interpretation of them was wrong. Like, she saw this stuff right. as applying yeah. to Stannis and when it was really applying to Jon Snow. Uh-huh. Um, and we see that many times. Like, Cersei is convinced that this prophecy to Valonqar is about Tyrion when we, the book-reading public, are convinced that it's going to be, you know, the Hound or Jaime or anybody but Tyrion. Which would make it a funny inversion if it actually is up to, uh, ends up being Tyrion. Uh-huh. Uh, but here's the point. Um, I don't think that the way it works is the Dothraki gods whisper into the Dosh Kaleen's ears, hey, there's going to be a stand-up. And there she's just translating. What right. they're giving is signs and portents. Of course. If you just say that they were right about the prophecy, instead of they assumed that these signs were pointing towards the unborn child in her belly, mm-hmm. but really the gods were giving a prophecy about Danny herself, uh-huh. I mean... That's Stan- easy, an easy spin. Sure. Stan, Stanny. Danny in her in the present shape looks very much like a a, a stallion that's got the world in in her eyes and has got a mean it got a way, means and motive to mount it. So mm-hmm. now, if Danny, that's the other complication. If Danny just ends up falling flat on her face and gets gets nowhere in her conquering of Westeros, um, you know we can go b- right back to this prophecy, like, well, the yeah. Dosh Colleen just was full of shit, right? So, um, but yeah, I think that if you just say that they, you know, in their patriarchal culture, they see a woman who's pregnant and she's saying she's carrying a man. Well, obviously, you know, the prophecy yeah. is about one of those two people. It must be about the unborn male heir. Sure. So that's another one. That's one that I've always thought that they, they had the right prophecy. They just had the target wrong mm-hmm. and made a mistake. It would be easy for their culture to make. Uh, Brazos writes in and says, in last week's episode, you mentioned how Maester Pycelle was patronizing Joffrey by talking about a sound military mind, but I got to thinking about who else is known for the military prowess, none other than Stannis Baratheon, who seemingly kept getting the shit kicked out of him over and over, even after buying an army, something Joffrey would likely do. I was wondering if Stannis' reputation was fabricated like King Joff's. Is there anything that backs up the notion that Stannis is great, or was he hyped up and the perception is much different than reality? Well, uh, I guess from
0: what we see, we shouldn't necessarily believe that he's that great. Right. Of a military
1: mind. Um, well, and that's the thing. Like, so, I mean, the reality is he's a great military leader because that's what other people that we're conditioned to respect in Westeros describe him as such. And you are correct that we don't have a lot of military history that we see, certainly in the show. I mean, we hear about. Right. His his main claim to fame is he held he didn't starve while he was holding uh was he's holding his, the 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 Baratheon's family seat at at uh, during the siege of Storm's End okay. and and that he didn't starve because you know Davos came by with a a, a truckload of onions or a boatload of onions that his men right. were able to sustain himself on rats boot leather and and onions uh, until Ned is, was able to ride up and free him. Um so I mean I I don't know what to say like he is it's very much like we're just told that he's this badass and he's been the 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 winner of several other campaigns that we don't really see or know much about and uh that he's a competent military commander and he's tough and uncompromising but his weaknesses that he doesn't know how to really motivate or inspire others. Uh and not not just others cuz he's also said to be a really good battlefield commander um mm-hmm. but doesn't know how to inspire like lords, the ones that are going to get him right. the troops yeah. that he needs. Not a great politician. He's not a great no. politician. So, but that's you know the the books are ex- are replete with examples of you know we hear how much of a badass Jamie Lannister is with a sword, but we don't really ever see it, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's few and far between where like you know that's usually what's so cool about the books is like when you get to a scene like oh shit, Barisan Selmy's about to throw down to some random dude. Like, you know, a hush falls over you because it's like you're about to see something you hardly ever see. Mm-hmm. You're about to see a badass fight scene that's <laughs> that's going to be shown and not and not not talked about. Uh Kiki says, You guys mentioned how the Hound was being so nice to Sansa in the season one finale, and it made me remember something that has been bothering me ever since season two. In the episode Blackwater, the Hound offers to both protect Sansa and take her home to Winterfell or at least away from King's Landing. She refuses, as she does in the books. The thing that always bothers me is why. In the book, the Hound cycles between being kind of nice to her and terrifying her. In A Clash of Kings, Sansa has already made a plan to escape, and the Hound has scare- scared her virtually every time they interacted, along with being maybe infatuated with her, so add kind of creepy to that list. In the show, he has pretty much been kind to her throughout their entire relationship and scared her maybe twice. <laughs> she didn't have a plan to get away until season three, so why refuse? I mean, yeah, he's still a scary guy, but nowhere near the levels he is in the books. It just felt like a uh, the main reasons she had refused in the books are either entirely missing or barely there. <laughs> um, so I found a Vulture article from May 2012 where... Uh, Sophie Turner talks about the motivations of Sar- Sansa. So you can kind of take it from the horse's mouth, not to imply that Sophie Turner is horse like in any way. Okay. Uh, She wants to go back to Winterfell and see her family again, but after being caged up, she's learned not to trust anyone. She knows her family isn't going to be like it is in the fairy tales, waiting for her to return. She hears that her brother is fighting a war, and she knows it's never going to be the same. It's not like she has a plan to get out, because she's only thinking about her survival in the here and now, and she's kind of just going with the flow. But she's very broken, kind of stunned and traumatized, and it's hard for her to function without the people who love her. And this made me think about the concept of, like, learned helplessness, which if, you've, if, you've, if you can look – there's a Wikipedia article on it where, you know, you can, you can do this. If you um, put a, an organism through enough trauma, and especially, like, pointless trauma, that it, 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 it essentially deprives them of the ability to make decisions for themselves, and they kind of tend to go with, like, what other people want them to do or what is the current status quo – um, like there's, expe- there's examples of, um, experiments where they put like a dog or a cat in a cage and they randomly electrify its cage. And like at first the dog or cat or monkey Jesus. makes attempts to escape the painful stimulus. But as it continues, they eventually just curl up in a ball and just take it because there's no rhyme or reason. Nothing they do seems to ever change the situation. So why even try? Mm-hmm. And I think that they're. Because of the way they shifted the events from the books to the series, they are banking on you understanding that Sansa is at this stage when the Hound goes to offer her help. It's, like, suspicious. Like, you know, that's the other thing is, like, how could this possibly be something good? I better stay in my room where I've been told to be or things will go badly for me.
0: It's very much like Reek later on yeah
1: there's another classic example of learned helplessness where like he actually could have been rescued way in advance but he does because he can't imagine that this is a good thing there's so many things that should have been good for him and weren't so yeah another good example uh ido says you guys didn't talk about this two similarities between the battle of the whispering wood and the battle of the bastards uh both rob and Ramsey sacrificed many people uh, for a military advantage, both Rob and Ramsey refused a proposal for a one-on-one battle from John and Jamie. The viewers' reaction to these two situations is different because Rob is the good guy, so we go easy on him for sacrificing people uh, when they did pretty much the same things. Do you think the writers created these similarities on purpose, or is it just a coinkydink?
0: Uh Well, I hadn't thought about it. I think they do them for different reasons, and certainly one is broken up about it, one is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rob doesn't think this is a great thing right. that he's done, whereas Ramsey's perfectly fine with sacrificing men. Yeah, especially um,
1: when they're, like, you know, Umber men and right. other men that are not and I mean, even his men.
0: There's, there's a certain... I don't know. I When I look at wars like that, I don't necessarily think you can evaluate it just like, every life is sacred, right? Because it's not about necessarily the single life of a soldier. It's about the greater good, quote-unquote, whatever you want to sure. want to say about that. Um, but, you know, if you're fighting a war, you're fighting it to win for some long-term benefit. Right. And in the short term, you have to make sacrifices. And, and part of the I, thing I don't, about... I don't view that as, like, a negative thing. I mean, as much... I guess I view it negatively as much as Rob does. Which well, is like I'm going. I'm still going to do it because it needs to be done. But like,
1: it's part of the horror uh, of war. And I'm
0: going to regret the fact that I had to do it. But I'm not going to not do it because it's not right. Right or something.
1: Right. Yeah. No. And I think that uh, usually, you know, at least in modern militaries, you know, soldiers are aware of the fact that they might be ordered to do something that would lead to their li- the the loss of their lives, but overall would help the com- the the war effort. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, like. Uh, I don't – you know, usually people aren't directly ordered on suicide missions because there's a lot of weird psychology with that. They should have at least a glimmer of a chance of survival, uh-huh. uh, at least individual survival. But, yeah, like, you can you can get uh, dudes to do – like, um, I remember reading the novelization of uh, – um, uh, what was that movie? Saving Private Ryan, where one of the sergeants was like telling the men, like, you know, look to the guy to the left and to the right. None of those those son of the bitches ain't coming home, but you're going to make it. Right. Like, right. we're expecting two thirds casualties, but you're going to be the lucky one. And every single one of you is going to be the lucky one. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um...
0: yeah, I mean, that that's a that's like, storming the beaches of
1: Normandy, right? Like, that's but I do a think, perfect example. I've never thought of this, but there is a there is a poetic similarity to that.
0: There is. I I don't know that they're, like, trying to specifically point out, oh, look, that these guys are both doing the same things. Here. Right. It's more like, this is what needed to be done in the moment, and they both react very differently to it. Yes. So, if anything, I think it's almost drawing distinctions between the two characters.
1: Because you can give two characters the same stimulus and see how they personally view it. Right. And that tells you something about them as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I thought that was a good point. Uh, Brooke B. said, Will Cersei do the opposite of what we're all expecting? I expect her, to reign, her reign won't last long, but instead of Jaime versus Cersei, a.k.a. who's going to kill each other first, what what if the opposite happens? What if she declares her brother, uh, her lover, and her king for the all the entire realm to see? Oof. A few things are holding her back from going public with Jamie. Number 1, Tywin. Number 2, her children and their claims to the throne, and number 3, the faith. Now that all of these have been wiped out and the realm already hates her, what does she have to lose? Perhaps this is why the Valancar part of the prophecy is not mentioned in the show. Perhaps it won't down quite go down quite the way we think. She just may bring incest back to the throne the way it was during the reign of the Targaryens. This is more of a show-type theory, but it would also fit in nicely with the story arc that has been presented thus far. Think about it. Cersei threatened Tywin that she and Jaime would come out if he made her marry Loras, so clearly she's not ashamed of it. Also, Jaime confessed his love to Lord Edmure, so he clearly doesn't give a rat's ass who knows either. He loves Lord Edmure? (laughs) No, he confesses his love for his sister to Lord Edmure. Oh. Uh, See? I'm not the only one writing a homoerotic (laughs) slash fic here. Uh what he, so my big problem with this is that, you, Jamie's arc seems to be that he threw his his prospect of being the kind of person he wanted to be, which was a noble knight that like songs were sung about mm-hmm. in the Kingsguard. He threw all that away to save, essentially, the people of King's Landing. Mm-hmm. Okay. He rides up and sees this burning smolder, and he's going to find out that his lover, essentially for selfish reasons, did the exact opposite. She burnt the city so that she would not have to suffer humiliation and defeat. That's fair, yeah. Um, and with Jamie's overall arc, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know that I see it like this late in this in the series. I, I don't know that I can buy Jamie just. You know, essentially pulling a Lord Vader and standing behind Palpatine here. Like, what's going to be the loot coming and saying, Father, please, is going to move him off of that position. She's think, already burnt half the fucking city. I, I think it was Tommen.
0: I, I think that moment has happened. I think it's Tommen. We just haven't seen the full reaction yet.
1: So you're you're with me. You don't think yeah, that yeah. he's going to go back to the Dark Queen side. Yeah, I just, i I can't see it. I can't see it. All the kids are dead now. Like right, and I and I definitely see the of confusion them, and pain because Cersei's like, "This is what we wanted. This is what we talked about: us versus everyone." But like, right, you know, and and Jamie says shit like that, but I don't think he really means it. Not in like a Holocaust sense of the word. He means it, but but maybe just to a point, right? Like. Like yeah, defeat House the stars, yeah. the, the the great people, that, but like you know, just indiscriminately burning all these men, women, and children. I think that mean, but then again, and it's I'll the man who shoved windows. an eight year old out of a window,
0: right? But but I mean, Cersei essentially shoved Tommen out of a window, right? Like right, yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I, it's going to be interesting to see exactly how Jaime reacts now that he's back in King's Landing and you know the Dark Queen is sitting on the throne. Uh, may- maybe maybe you're right. Maybe he'll just join up with the dark side here and be the Vader to her Palpatine, but I, I could also easily see it going the other way. Yeah, uh, more
1: easily, because, again... And right, I already... Yeah. So they've already done a reversal with him, because in the books like, once Joffrey dies, things are never quite the same between them. He finds out about her infidelities, and then he's ordered to go on his campaign to Riverlands, and instead of going there and and renewing his love for her, he just meditates on how she's never done anything, and like I mentioned, I think that was shocking to you, that he gets a summons from her, where she's a up to her neck and shit and she's gonna have this trial and she's like please come be my champion I love you I love you I love you and he takes a message just crumples it up and mm. throws it to the fire like that's how much of a shit he gives and I always thought it was weird that they took that pivot point in the books and spun it to where they were closer than ever yeah and like yeah. that and so they've already kind of done that zigzag once if they do it again at two half seasons left I don't know that I'm gonna go along with it I mean, it's, it's all depends on story. how they write it, but
0: maybe that's just the story they're gonna tell with the show. Maybe yeah, it's gonna be entirely different between them.
1: I, I mean, I don't know. But like I said, there's lots of there's lots of other potential Valon cars that'll choke her to death, which isn't even a thing in the right, show. Right? Yeah. Uh, again, but if you assume that, like, even without the prophecy, the same events will happen with roughly the same people, and I think that the closest you get to the core, you know, when you're talking about what happens with the Jory Castle. You know, one of Ned's... Who? Yeah, one of, <laughs> one of the Ned's errand boys in King's Landing. That can change quite a bit. We're, just, we're talking about, right. like, you know, Jon Snow, Cersei, Jamie, Arya. Like, they can have substantially different outcomes from the books that are show. At least I don't think so. Right. Um, and, and if they're going to differ a little, it's going to be, like, by degree. It's not going to be, like, widespread. Every single character is different. Like, why would you do that? Because again, I also go for yeah, that at the end of the day, the double Ds are trying to make a good faith effort to adapt George's world to the screen. They're not really they never were in this to kind of make their own mark on it or mm-hmm. fix the problems that they saw with the narrative. Like it was fans that thought this would be cool and they could just sit back and, and, and fill this this framework out and, and make it sing and so hmm. uh that's that's all the spoiler feedback we got. Okay. So if you'd like to continue the discussion, uh, the only place to do it from in the, the, the offseason is going to be on our forums, forums.baldmove.com. Uh, thank you very much, everyone who's listened. This has been a very successful run of Game of Thrones for us. Thank you, especially everyone that supported us. Um, you know, either either through the Amazon or on the club. Um, we couldn't do it without you. Uh, really do hope that you join us in some of the projects because there's lots of good television. We, you know, there's only it, it'd be great if we could cover all the television. Uh, <laughs> we do as much as we can, and I'm really excited about Westworld in particular. Yeah, uh, I'm really excited for The Walking Dead to come back. Oh, to see, it's gonna be fun to see Thanks. how they pick up the wreckage of last season, and, and it's always just this. a good time. I yeah, mean, we
0: do live watches on that for club members, so like I always have a good time just goofing on the show right. during those, and then you know. Some weeks it's good, some weeks it's bad, but it's always a good time.
1: Uh, but no, thank you especially for the Game of Thrones watchers and fellow fans, because, uh, you guys have done, uh, a lot to to make Bald Moves successful, and, yep. and uh, if it was just purely a profit and popularity decision, uh, we'd probably continue and just do Game of Thrones, but Like I said, where would we be in two years? Right. (laughs) Where, you know, Westworld and projects like that are are hedges for the future. So, uh, but no, I appreciate it. We'll be back again. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter or on baldmove.com if you want to know what we're up to and and what we're going to be doing. Um, But if not, we'll see you next year. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Bye-bye.